I invite you to remain standing this day for the reading of Scripture, which comes to us out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We read verses 39 through 45. Luke 1, 39 through 45. Hear now the Gospel. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as scripture is read, as word is proclaimed, that we may hear with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. I apologize up front if I sound a little lispy today and for the next few weeks. It's because I'm now wearing these teeth aligners and I can't take them off. So um, if I sound a little lispy, I apologize. Um, but it's okay for you to giggle uh, at your seats because I know I sound funny right now. And so uh, that's okay. I'll, I'll giggle with you. Um, today we continue our worship series for Advent entitled The Journey, Walking the Road to Bethlehem. And it's based on a study written by Reverend Adam Hamilton of the same title. And what we've been doing is we've been going through the journey of the Christmas story as we know it, leading up to the time of Jesus' birth. And we've been exploring uh, the aspects of this journey from new eyes and seeing it from a new lens and learning perhaps some things that we never saw from this story before. Or perhaps we're hearing the story again, but for the very first time. And so today we continue on that journey with Mary and her visit to Elizabeth. So last week we talked a little bit about Joseph. And so this week we return to Mary's story and learn what she did immediately after the angel appeared to her informing her of her pregnancy. Mary uh, also heard from the angel in the previous scripture leading up to this that uh, Elizabeth, her cousin, was also with child. And so I, I reckon that the angel did not make a mistake in telling Mary that Elizabeth was also pregnant because it was almost as if by telling her, the angel was beckoning Mary to go to Elizabeth. Have you ever uh, felt the nudge from God to do something or to go somewhere you wouldn't have previously gone. And let me testify from experience. Sometimes feeling that nudge from God is not as straightforward as go. Sometimes it's a roundabout way. I can testify because that's why I'm here with you today. Because of a journey that I never thought I would be on. One called ministry. So think about your journeys and where you're going and where you've been. How has God nudged you? The question is, why would 
Mary go to Elizabeth? Why would God nudge Mary to go to Elizabeth? So a little bit about Elizabeth. She's married to Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest, a Jewish priest, in the temple in Jerusalem. And they live just a short way west of Jerusalem, uh, just out of town, and it's just north of Bethlehem. And they live in a small community called Ein Kerem. Ein Kerem, and it's also in Karim, uh, however you pronounce it. There's multiple pronunciations. We're going to stick with Ein Kerem. So for Mary, um, the, the journey from Nazareth to Ein Kerem would have been about a nine-day walk and about 85 miles. About nine days and about 85 miles. And so this is not necessarily a journey that you would want to take on a regular basis, much less a journey that you would want to take once you just found out that you were pregnant, not by your fiancé. So for Mary to decide to take this journey in and of itself um, is radical and is miraculous. We ask the question, why would Mary go to Elizabeth? But, but I think perhaps the, the better question is, why wouldn't Mary go to Elizabeth? Avery, I think we have one more map, one picture of one more map to show just kind of the idea of this journey. There was two different ways she could have gone. She could have gone down to the mountains of, Syria, of uh, Samaria, or she could have gone around Samaria, down the Jordan River into Jericho, down through Jerusalem and into Bethlehem and then Ein Karim. So as you can see, it's a grueling journey. Why would she go? The better question is, why wouldn't she go? This, this 13-year-old girl just found out she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, no less, because she's still a virgin. And she's likely scared to death because if anyone finds out she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, no less, then they would likely not believe her and it would likely mean her death. I don't know about you, but I don't think I would believe her either. Parents, if your teenage daughter came to you and said, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit, how many of your parents would say, all Holy Spirit, you, and also not believe it? I wouldn't believe it. This is a very real fear that Mary has. When we are scared, we seek out those who can comfort us. Do you agree? When we have fear, we seek out those who can help drive that fear away. Mary was hoping that Elizabeth would first believe her and then provide her comfort and counsel. Elizabeth was the perfect mentor for Mary. Her and Zechariah are like the Abraham and the Sarah of the New Testament. They tried unsuccessfully for years to have children. Then, while Zechariah was, was praying in the temple, an angel appeared to him and told him that his wife Elizabeth would become pregnant with a child who we know later to be John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's sole ministry was pointing others to Jesus 
as the Messiah. I can picture, maybe you can too, picture this in your head. Zechariah receiving this message from the angel, the messenger of God, while he's in the presence of the Holy of Holies in the temple. And he sneers to himself just a little bit. He thinks, how is that possible? We're old. My wife is beyond childbearing years. Maybe the way he sneered wouldn't have been much more different than the way that Sarah laughed at Abraham when he told her you would have a child and they would have a child named Isaac. And do you know what the name Isaac means? One who laughs. After I can picture Zechariah sneering to himself, he didn't believe it at first. And so, because of his unbelief, the angel literally made him speechless. It's where he could not say a word to anybody. I don't know about you, but if an angel of the Lord ever appears to me and tells me something, the last thing I do is laugh or sneer. Can anybody say amen? Because I don't think God likes us laughing or sneering at his messengers, especially whenever it's an important word. Elizabeth likely would also have been a bit surprised and scared when she discovered that she was pregnant. Because can you imagine? Zechariah finds out, but he can't go home and tell her because he can't speak. I'm sure there are other ways that he tried to communicate this to her, but, but besides the point, if you're Elizabeth, how would you feel if you discovered all of a sudden now that you are with child? But Elizabeth would have been the perfect mentor for Mary. Not just because she had a similar miracle experience or because she was older and, and, and wiser, but because she likely needed Mary just as much as Mary needed her. They would have been a source of, of encouragement to one another. We all need an Elizabeth in our lives. We all need someone who understands. We all need someone who can guide and encourage and affirm us. And in the same light, we all need to be and are also all called to be an Elizabeth to someone else. Part of being a follower of Christ is teaching, mentoring, guiding, encouraging Others to do the same thing. Maybe this starts in ways of, of, of building friendships. Maybe it starts in ways of encouraging others in, in, in something else, like a sport, like a classroom, like a friend, whatever the case may be. And then it can lead to other things, like someone seeing just how you go about your business and asking questions. And then you can say, oh, because I'm a Christian. This is the way I'm called to live. And then the door is open. 
We become Elizabeth to Marys around the world. And people's lives can be changed. And just as important as their lives being changed, our lives can be changed as well. As Mary approached the house, she calls out to Elizabeth to announce that she's there. She immediately, Elizabeth immediately knows that it's Mary and that she is with child and that Jesus, uh, and is with child with Jesus because the scripture says she is immediately filled with the Holy Spirit. That means she's filled with the knowledge of what is going on. That means that Christ has opened her eyes to this occurrence. Mary's fears and, and anxiety uh, uh, about how to tell Elizabeth the story of how she became the child likely immediately flooded away with Elizabeth's sacred, sacred words that say, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. That the mother of my Lord comes to me. Something else happens here too that's a first. I don't know uh, what, what else we see is that uh, Elizabeth says that John leaps in her womb upon also hearing the voice of Mary. Now what she means is that John likely probably just gave her a good kick. But the point is Upon hearing Mary's voice, John becomes active. But I want you to think about this. Mary was at most only a few weeks pregnant. Yet Elizabeth already knows who Jesus is. Mary is just a few weeks pregnant, yet Elizabeth in this moment becomes the first person to ever call Jesus Lord. Have you ever thought about that? And here's another first. Because even in utero, John the Baptist bore witness to the identity of Jesus as Savior and King. Even in your, even without being born. The identity of Jesus is made known. Finally, I bet for the first time, Mary can breathe a sigh of relief as her fears start to give way to joy, as perhaps this was the moment she finally truly understood the blessing from God that she received. Up to this point, I can picture Mary being filled with anxiety and fear for her life. But now that Elizabeth has brought her this comfort because Elizabeth knows she can finally breathe a sigh of relief and say, oh, this isn't some burden I've been bestowed upon me where all I've had to do is say whatever thine will be, Lord. Mary can finally see the joy of this blessing. Now, in the passage that Elizabeth uh, uses here that we just read, Elizabeth uses the word blessed at least three times. I don't know if you caught it that many times, but Elizabeth uses the word blessed three times when addressing Mary. And folks, if I'm being honest today, I think we as Christians overuse this word just a bit. 
I think we overuse the word without fully grasping the significance of its meaning. We tend to think God's blessings involve good things that happen to us, like money, like events, like state championships, like power, like prestige. It's often associated with things we describe such as our families, such as our jobs, such as our homes, such as our health or our wealth. But if you hear nothing else today, hear this. Blessedness isn't about the material things of this world. Someone say amen. Blessedness is not about the material things of this world. For Mary, being blessed wasn't about being born of security or being born of physical well-being because, as we know, Mary was not. Mary was born in a impoverished household. She was considered in the lowest of the low status. She was a nobody in the eyes of humanity. Mary's blessedness came from being a part of God's plan. Mary's blessedness came from being a vital piece in God's plan for building God's kingdom here on earth. Her blessedness was in the fact that she was chosen by God to be the means for which God would be born into our world. That was Mary's blessing. Listen to the words of author William Barclay. William Barclay, in a publication, states, The piercing truth is that God does not choose a person for ease and comfort and selfish joy, but for a task that will take all that head and heart and hand can bring to it. Let that sink in for just a second. What did he mean by that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Consider what Jesus uh, said and who Jesus said was blessed in Matthew chapter 5. Are you familiar with Matthew chapter 5? We have a, a name that we call the sequence of events that happens at this time during Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We call this particular passage the Beatitudes where Jesus says things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then he echoes these things out of Luke chapter 6 when he says, Blessed are you when people revile you and say bad things about you and hurt you. Blessed are you because great is your reward in the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying is that when we face trials in life, when we have fears and anxiety about the curveballs that life throws us, it's not that we aren't blessed. It's not that we aren't blessed. In fact, it's quite the opposite because God has promised to never leave us. God has promised to never forsake us. And God walks through these trials with us. God never leaves us. And most importantly, above all else, God uses our adversities for God's good purposes. My favorite scripture of all time is Romans 8.28. You hear it often. 
And we know that God calls all things to work together for God's good, for those who love God according to his purposes. God uses our adversities for good. God's blessings are not about smooth sailing and easy cruising this life. God's blessings are about the joy of being a part of God's work. Of being used by God for good purposes. And walking alongside the Holy Spirit as we face the difficulties of this world head on. That's what blessedness from God is all about. Throughout this Advent, we have been exploring the characters of the story and what their uh, characteristics tell us about the character of God. The essence of this flows out of Mary through her joyful response to Elizabeth in verses 46 through 55 in this passage. We call this passage Mary's Magnificat. And Magnificat is just a fancy Latin word that means to magnify. To magnify. Listen to Luke 1, 46-55. I want you to hear the Magnificat. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. In the Magnificat, we find a picture of a God who says the least likely of people are the exact ones that I want to use. If you think you are the least of these, if you think your life is meaningless, if you think you are nothing, then you are exactly who God wants to use today. You, us, who are low in the eyes of humanity, shall be lifted up. Now, this is a powerful reminder for us today that God cares for all people. That God's love knows no bounds, especially for those who have been to be made to feel small by others, especially to those who have been made to think by others that they are nothing or that they have nothing. Folks, we are the ones that God uses today. God has a special concern for the poor, the humble, and those who others often overlook. 
if we are truly to celebrate Christmas and honor the generous spirit of Mary in the Magnificat, we must look at ways that we can be used by God, as Mary says, to send the hungry away full. How is God nudging you today to go somewhere that is out of your comfort zone? How is God nudging you to do something, to go somewhere that you never thought you would go to? How is God calling you, who in your own mind may be thinking, I'm nothing in the greater aspect of this world, but to God you are everything? God wants to use you today. How will we respond to the blessedness that God is offering us to be a part of God's plan? This is the gospel message for all of us. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.